Thanks for tuning into the Tom Nicola podcast, the audio version of my written articles. Like my website, I don't load my content with advertisements, but I do want to mention a couple of things I personally offer. First, the Nicola newsletter. Each Thursday, I send out my latest blog post and a popular article from my archive, along with other valuable content I've come across the previous week. My subscribers love getting their newsletter because it contains more than my own articles. Of course, it's free. Just go to tomnicola.com slash subscribe. Second, when you're ready to get serious about your health and fitness and want an efficient and effective program to follow, join Vigor Training. You get access to all of my workout programs for just $29 per month. Learn more and join at tomnicola.com slash vigor. On to the article. The Dietary Goals for the United States, 44 Years Later. A disturbing turn of events took place on my birthday, January 14, 1977. It is one of many examples of the government attempting to influence Americans' decisions with guidance based on opinion and politics rather than scientific evidence. I'm referring to the publication of the first version of the Dietary Guidelines for Americans. Like the subject of gun control, social justice, or mass vaccinations, the government's influence on our dietary choices is based more heavily on opinions and money than real scientific evidence. After 20 years in health and fitness, I can't help associating my birthday with George McGovern's gift to Americans, the Dietary Goals for the United States. The Dietary Goals of 1977. I've been less surprised by the government's misuse of the term science than many, as I've seen them misuse the term for the past 20 years, I've been a health and fitness professional. George McGovern did just that when he pushed through his committee's report on January 14, 1977. The report outlined the goals as follows. 1. Increase carbohydrate consumption to account for 55-60% to 60% of the energy or caloric intake. 2. Reduce overall fat consumption from approximately 40 to 30% energy intake. 3. Reduce saturated fat consumption to account for about 10% of total energy intake, and balance that with polyunsaturated and monounsaturated fats, which should account for about 10% of energy intake. 4. Reduce cholesterol consumption to about 300 milligrams a day. 5. Reduce sugar consumption by about 40% to account for about 15% of total energy intake. 6. Reduce salt consumption by about 50-85% to to approximately 3 grams a day. Also, the report outlined guidelines for food selection and preparation. 1. Increase consumption of fruits and vegetables and whole grains. 2. Decrease consumption of meat and increase consumption of poultry and fish. 3. Decrease consumption of foods high in fat and partially substitute polyunsaturated fat for saturated fat. 4. Substitute non-fat milk for whole milk. 5. Decrease consumption of butterfat, eggs, and other high cholesterol foods. 6. Decrease consumption of sugar and foods high in sugar content. 7. Decrease consumption of salt and foods high in salt content. 
These dietary goals and guidelines formed the basis of the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, the Food Pyramid, and more recently, My Plate. Imagine you're a manufacturer of processed foods. This is like hitting the jackpot. A government-recommended nutrition strategy that minimizes protein, which is expensive and difficult to preserve, and maximizes consumption of carbohydrate-rich foods, which are inexpensive and easy to make in a variety of forms and flavors. The Politics of Nutritional Science Over the past 44 years, we've continually been told to eat less fat and cholesterol and more carbohydrate-rich foods. Yet the evidence for all these recommendations stems from observational data, or population-based data. Any college freshman could tell you that observational research can never show cause and effect. Yet the media and politicians continually use such research to push forward their agendas. They've done it with COVID-19, inequality, social justice, gun control, vaccines, education, and more. The focus on fat began with an observation that in some countries, people eat more saturated fat and have more heart disease, while in some other countries, they eat less fat and suffer less heart disease. By choosing the right countries to build his case, Ansel Keys from the University of Minnesota showed a correlation between higher saturated fat intakes and heart disease. Keyes made his case by cherry-picking the data and publishing his seven countries study. Gary Tobbs, in his book Good, Good Calories, Bad Calories, shredded this pseudoscience. If you want to read nutrition science, I can't recommend this book enough. As a matter of fact, I expected every dietitian I hired when I was a senior director of nutrition and weight management at Lifetime to read the book. The point is this. McGovern's report was based on minimal science, even though it was called an evidence-based report. The committee used epidemiological evidence. Since 1977, the guidelines have changed somewhat and have been heavily influenced by special interests more than scientific evidence. If anything, following the government's dietary guidelines increases your chance of becoming overweight, developing diabetes, needing to depend on medications, and developing a host of other health problems. We've been primed and conditioned for 44 years to believe fat, and more recently meat, is bad. Carbs are good. It's wrong. Experience versus epidemiology. If the dietary guidelines work, why do so many diet, weight loss, and fitness plans veer away from them? Because the guidelines don't work for those who want to maximize their health and minimize their risk of disease. Over the past 20 years, those who stay fit and relatively lean maintain a few basic habits. They, number one, prioritize protein, which tends to crowd out extra unnecessary fat and carbohydrate. Two, strength train consistently so they build muscle, which is where you store the carbs you eat. And three, get enough sleep to maintain a healthy hormonal balance. Unfortunately, the guidelines to this day underplay the importance of protein, make people afraid of hormone-supporting dietary fat, and overemphasize the diabetes-inducing, blood pressure-raising, inflammation-stimulating, brain-destroying effects of excessive amounts of carbohydrates. They also make exercise and activity an afterthought instead of a non-negotiable. My 2021 birthday wish. 
I'm writing this on my 44th birthday. In past years, I've used today to write something more personal and introspective. This year, I decided to use my birthday blog post as an opportunity to open your eyes. Start with my free ebook, The First Three Habits of Vigorous Health. You'll find you can get healthier, leaner, and stronger, and you can eat gluten-free cake on more occasions than just your birthday. Then when you're ready to go deeper, I recommend reading the following books. One, Good Calories, Bad Calories by Gary Tobbs. Two, Ignore the Awkward, How Cholesterol Myths Are Kept Alive by Ufe Ravinskov. Three, Deep Nutrition, Why Your Genes Need Traditional Food by Katherine Shanahan. Four, Wheat Belly by William Davis, MD. Five, The Great Cholesterol Con by Anthony Colpo. Six, The Great Cholesterol Con by Malcolm Kendrick. And seven, Fat Chance by Robert Lustig, MD. Just don't be surprised when you realize that the government's recommendations and guidelines are not in your best interest.